Well, thank you, Isabella, and welcome everyone today, uh, wherever you are watching or listening from, and indeed, whenever you are watching or listening, it is good to be together today. My name is Brian Valley. I am the director of youth ministry here at Bethany Green Lake. And in this season, we have been doing youth group, both middle school and high school, online through Zoom. Um, and there have been good things about it. There have, of course, been challenging things about it. And I consistently have been telling our students, don't give up. Don't give up. It is good. It is important to connect, to worship, to learn together. So I have that same encouragement for all of you today. And it says also in scripture in Hebrews, do not give up on gathering together. Even if you're still not quite used to worshiping from your living room or uh, you're just yearning for that time when we'll be back together in person, I believe that God wants to teach us and meet us from his word today. I also know that this is a time uh, in our world, in our society, where there is so much going on. Perhaps you feel any number of things. Perhaps you're just tired. Perhaps you're uncertain about what the beginning of the school year will look like for your kids or your family as you navigate that and work. Perhaps there's something going on in your life and you are encouraged or excited. Uh, it could be any number of things. Perhaps you're tired of looking around our country and seeing injustice and racism. Maybe you've been impacted by the shooting of Jacob Blake, and we hope that we can pray and work with you for justice, for peace. Perhaps you or someone you know and love has been impacted by wildfires, by hurricanes, or something else. Maybe it's only August and you're already tired of the fact that it's an election year here in our country and you're just ready for this time to be over. Friends, wherever you are today, however you are feeling, whatever it is, I believe that Jesus wants to meet us today. That right where you are, the Holy Spirit desires that you would encounter the living God. So to that end, would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are humbled by the opportunity we have to worship you, God, to learn from your scriptures about who you are, about how we might live in response to you. Jesus, we are desperate for you. Would you meet us? Would you teach us in this time together today? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, if you do have a Bible near you or you can grab one or open an app, we will be in a few minutes in Acts chapter 15. But at the beginning here, I want to give us a question, which is really the framing question for the whole of the message and what we are considering together today. And that is this, what is at the center? What is at the center of your life? What is at the center of your family? What is at the center of our church, of Bethany Community Church here at Green Lake and all around the Seattle area? Or perhaps also, who is at the center? The famous poet, W.B. Yeats, uh, at the end of the First World War, when the world was still in turmoil, and at the same time, his own wife was suffering from the 1918 flu pandemic, 
over a hundred years ago, famously wrote in a poem this line that says, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. I wonder if perhaps for you, you feel like that in some way today, that things are falling apart around you. Is there anything in the center of your life, anything that can hold it together? Or maybe you think about this image that Caitlin gave us in that wonderful kids moment. It just feels like you're spinning and spinning and spinning. And maybe when you finally feel like you have control of things, there's something else that comes out of left field. And we need a center point to keep our focus on. Friends, there's really not a secret today that in some sense, uh, this is a one-point sermon. Uh, As I was preparing this message, I was a little challenged to think, well, maybe should I say something a little more complicated or nuanced or have two or three or four points or something like that. But I kept coming back to the scripture and being convicted that there is a central truth that we need to hear today, that we find our way when we put Jesus Christ at the center of our lives, at the center of our church, at the center of everything. If you're gonna hear anything today, that is it, an encouragement, a challenge, an exhortation to put Jesus at the center. We're finishing today this sermon series uh, in the first part of the book of Acts. And uh, we have been calling this section of it the new shape of church. Because indeed, in many logistical ways, church right now does have a different shape, at least in the ways that we are able to connect and gather for worship on Sundays and on other days. And even years from now, when this pandemic in many ways is a thing more so in the past than in the present, there are things that will still be different, that will be new. I suspect maybe we won't shake hands as much as we used to or other things like that. But our center point, the middle of who we are, what is keeping us grounded, where our focus is, where our eyes are set, cannot change. I invite you to consider one other image, and that is the image of a compass. Now, a compass is something, a fairly simple tool that can help us find our way when we need to know which direction is north. And in the middle of a compass, there is this needle, the key piece that makes the compass work, a magnetic needle. And that is the reason it points north. You could put all sorts of other things in the center of that compass. You could fashion a needle made out of gold, made out of something that is super valuable in the eyes of the world. And that gold compass needle is not gonna point any particular direction. If you think you're following it to go north, you're gonna get very, very lost and head off course in all sorts of different directions. We need to keep the right thing at the center for us to know where true north is. And once again, the one point is that that is the person of Jesus Christ. So in Acts chapter 15 today, and feel free to uh, open that text as well at home if you want to look at some references with us, there are two situations where we see the early church showing us what it means to keep Jesus at the center. They put Jesus at the center when they disagree and also when they change their minds. When we disagree, 
when we change our minds. So let's look real quickly here as we get into this first point, when we disagree. What the situation here in the book of Acts is. Eric uh, talked last week in Acts chapter 11 about part of this reality that there are Gentiles, non-Jews at this point in the story, who have been receiving the gospel of Jesus, saying yes to following Jesus. They have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly you have Christians who are not only Christians that are also Jews, but you have Gentiles who are following Jesus. Suddenly we see the truth, which is still significant today, that the gospel of Jesus is not only for one people, not only for one culture, not only for one language, but for all peoples, for all times, for all languages, for all cultures. So suddenly God was on the move in a way that these first Christians, who at the beginning were Jews, that they had not anticipated, that they had not expected. And this was a good thing. But it also ended up leading to great disagreement. We see this here at the beginning of the chapter, Acts 15 and verse 1 that certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the law taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. The law of Moses, meaning the law of the Hebrew scriptures of what we use now as Christians, we call the Old Testament. This is what Jews would follow and circumcision was the mark of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. We see this all through scripture in incredible and beautiful ways. And this was what it meant to be a Jew, to be part of the people of Israel, the people of God. But suddenly they say these other Christians, they have to join in as well and follow the law. Paul and Barnabas, two early church leaders who had done a great deal of ministry among these Gentiles, they said, we, we don't think so. We, we don't agree. They don't, they don't have to do this to, to follow Jesus. And others disagreed with them. So they come to Jerusalem for a big meeting, for a big council to answer this question. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses? And this was a hard question. We can look at it today and think that seems like a very far off issue, perhaps from our everyday lives and the things that we are disagreeing about. But for these first Christians, most of whom were Jews in the early days, to follow the law, the law of Moses, this is what it meant to be God's people, to be part of God's family. This is who they were and what they did. And to move away from this, to understand a new and different way that there could be people who were part of God's covenant that weren't living by the law, This was a very strange and new thing for them. And so because of this, the disagreement, the dispute, the debate is very big, very strong. But how do they find their way forward? Well, Peter in this passage speaks. And at the end of what Peter says, we find the key, I believe, of what it is that he's saying. This is Acts 15, verse 11. Peter says, We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Peter says, Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, whatever the category is, everyone is saved through God's grace 
through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Friends, this is the gospel. Do you know this good news? Is this the center of your life today? Now, they continued to have debate, but as they're debating, as they're figuring out, well, you say this and I say that, and how do we move forward? And as the church, what are we supposed to do? We find that they are keeping Jesus at the center of their conversation. Now, eventually later on in this chapter, they will come to a resolution on this particular issue. But I first want us to see that not only does this lead them perhaps to resolution, but in the midst of disagreement, in the middle of diverse opinions, they put Jesus at the center. They look first to Jesus. And I would challenge you to consider when you find yourself with a really strong opinion that is different than maybe something that someone else is saying, and you just know that you're right, and perhaps you are. There are many things that we ought to be convicted of, but in that conversation, that disagreement, that debate, is your first thing to look to Jesus. Is your first step to pray. God, even if what I'm saying is true, would I keep you at the center of my heart? And Jesus, you are the main thing. Any truth that we hold dear, we ought to hold because that is where Jesus has led us. And so this is true. When we say, when we're talking about putting Jesus at the center, this does not mean that we are called to be neutral or to be passive. We can hear this sometimes in churches where people say, well, we don't, we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to make a stand because we don't want anyone to feel excluded if they might disagree with what we have to say. No, when we put Jesus at the center of who we are and how we talk and how we disagree, it means we become radically committed to what Jesus cares about. When we put Jesus at the center, we will strongly and radically be called to care for the people that Jesus cares for. For all people created in the image of God to advocate for those on the margins because of class, because of race, because of gender, because of ability or disability, and so many other things. To care for the earth, to be people who stand up for justice, for forgiveness, for peace, for kindness, for truth. We don't find our way forward in the midst of disagreement because we have some particular theory or ideology or political party or a book that we read and we say, man, if we just do what that author said, then we'll find our way forward. Then everyone will finally agree and we'll know what the right thing is. No, we're convicted because we know that we are part of a different kingdom, that we have a king, his name is Jesus, and he is in charge of our lives when we center our lives and our hearts and our community on Jesus Christ, the more and more we do that, our values become more aligned with his. This is what discipleship is, friends. It doesn't mean that we stop standing up for things that we believe to be important and good and true, but it means that we look to Jesus to find out what those things are. And I also don't want you to hear me wrong in a different way. This doesn't mean that we will have easy or cheap unity. All of us in this church body can say we are looking to Jesus 
And we might still disagree about many, many things. But what we learn in the scripture today, friends, is in the midst of that disagreement, even if it's ongoing, even if there continues to be difficulty and hardship and debate and things just feel like they're going to be hard for a long time, perhaps in some seasons, we continue to put Jesus at the center. The end of this chapter even has a sobering reminder that the early church didn't have everything figured out. At the end of this chapter, we find Paul and Barnabas, after they've traveled to give a letter to another church, that they have a debate about as they continue traveling in ministry, who are they supposed to bring with them? Who's the right person? And it says they had such a strong disagreement that they parted ways. And we never actually see in scripture very clearly them coming back together and finding reconciliation. Two leaders in the early church radically focused and centered on Jesus. And there still is the reality of separation, of division. Friends, in my own life, in this season, there are so many times when I have been distracted or placing my hope somewhere else and I've had to recenter, to refocus on Jesus, to take a look again at the compass and ask, am I headed in the right direction? Do I have the right thing even at the center of my compass? So this is the first situation we see today in the text. In the midst of our disagreement, when we disagree, keeping Jesus at the center is how we must find our way forward. But there's also another truth um, about when we change our minds. When we change our minds. As the story continues, the apostle James eventually speaks up and declares the decision of the apostles, the elders of this council, that in fact, the Gentile Christians do not have to be circumcised. They do not need to follow the law of Moses. And it says the Gentiles rejoice, and I imagine a number of reasons that that may have been the case. James and Peter and the others were faithful Jews who had come to follow Jesus. And so for them, following the law was what they had been doing their whole lives. And for them to consider that other people might come and become part of God's people that were not following the law required of them to say, my thinking has changed. My understanding of what God desires has changed. I changed my mind. I didn't understand before, but now I do. This happens here in the scripture, both based on the testimony of what they see God doing around them. And also James examines the scripture. He shares from the book of Amos in the Old Testament, the truth of what God is up to. Friends, if we are following Jesus, we will need to get used to saying, I changed my mind. I was wrong. I didn't understand, but then someone helped me learn. Not because we ought to be swayed by whatever is popular in a particular day or a particular season, but unless any of us believe that we perfectly understand the heart of Jesus, that we perfectly are like him already, we have room to grow. I know that is true for me in so many ways. Perhaps I wonder, is it true for you as well? And so if we are willing to admit that we are not perfect where we are right now, we will have to at certain times say, I didn't understand. I've not yet arrived. A life committed to following Jesus, 
a life with Jesus at the center, like we see in Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James here in this chapter, is a life marked by humility. A church with Jesus at its center is a church marked by humility. Not humility without conviction. Scripture calls us to be convicted about what we believe to be true, but to hold at the center of that Jesus Christ himself and know that things are gonna change over time and there are things that we didn't understand before and now we're starting perhaps to figure out. I wanna give you an example of this um, from a man in history named Oscar Romero, actually now Saint Oscar Romero. Oscar Romero was the Archbishop of San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador, in the late 1970s. And at this time, there was a situation that would before too long lead to civil war in that country. And Oscar Romero, when he first became the Archbishop, was known as a pretty predictable person, not going to really ruffle anyone's feathers or offend anyone too much. And at this same time, the poorest, particularly farmers in El Salvador, were struggling. Were struggling eventually for their very lives against an oppressive government. And at first, Romero was not really standing up for their cause, even though some people wished he would. But an event happened. Actually, the death, the assassination of one of his friends, one of his priests. And something changed in Romero. And from that time forward, his life became marked by a radical commitment to defending the cause of the poorest, of the least of these in his country, in his society. Oscar Romero was so centered on Jesus that he was willing to say, I had it wrong before. I wasn't standing up for something that is in the heart of Jesus and something had to change. And it didn't change because of politics or because of what was popular or because of what would give him power. He changed because of who Jesus is and his commitment to Jesus. He called the people of that country to obey God rather than to obey an oppressive government at that time. And ultimately, Romero paid a very high price for his obedience. One day he had just concluded giving a sermon in church and there at the very front of the church, he was assassinated. He is an example to us of someone who was so focused on Jesus, it led him to change his thinking, even even to the point where it cost him his life. He learned and lived into those words of Jesus, blessed are the poor. In Galatians chapter two, to remember the poor. And he said, because of Jesus, this is where I have to head. This is what my life has to be about. So I would ask you today, I would ask us as a community, are we prepared to put Jesus at the center of our lives? Perhaps for some of us, it's the 100th time we've had to do this again and again. Perhaps some of you are feeling, man, my life feels so out of control and the world feels so out of control. Brian, this sounds really attractive. Jesus Christ, who might be something that can give me some hope and some purpose, but I've never really committed to him before. I don't know what that is about. Friends, the invitation is for all of us. Are we willing to be so centered on Jesus that we are willing to say, 
I was wrong. I changed my mind. Because step by step, one day at a time, we are learning more and more what the heart of Jesus is like for us, for the church, for the world, for everyone. This is the example set in Acts chapter 15. Holding Jesus at the center is how we find our way forward when we disagree, even if the disagreement is ongoing. I'm not saying there's any kind of any easy unity, but also when we find ourselves changing our minds because our eyes are set on Jesus. So there is an invitation and encouragement today. Jesus calls all people to himself. All of these people in the early church, Jesus had called each and every one of them and said, come and follow me. Center your life around me. And there's also a challenge. Have you centered your life around something other than Jesus? We need habits of continual recentering. This is not meant to shame any of us, but to invite us to say, will we take stock of our life? In any place where we discover, man, we've lost focus, we've lost track, we've put our hope somewhere else, we've been seeking to find our meaning in something else, in someone else, in whatever it is, we have an invitation, even in a moment, practically, to stop at that time when we notice that, to pray even just for a quick second if there's lots going on in your household or your work or whatever it is, and to ask, Jesus, would you be the center of my life? In doing so, we ask God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to come fill us and to guide us forward. Scripture says that Jesus is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And so in a moment, friends, we have the opportunity to enter into a time of worship again. And I invite you to take this as a space of prayer, of worship. Perhaps it still feels like a funny thing for you in your living room. Maybe you feel uncomfortable singing along. Maybe that's a step of courage for you to step out in worship of Jesus and to say, you know what? Right here in my living room with my family, by myself, whatever it is, I'm gonna sing and worship to Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that he would be the center of my life, the center of our church, the center of our community. We fix our eyes on Jesus, our center, our first love, the one that we owe everything to. Friends, will you pray with me? God, we are so thankful um, to be together, to worship, for the true story here in scripture, God, of the example of the early church, how they set their eyes and hearts on you, Jesus, how they put you at the center. They found their way forward. Jesus, would you fill us? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us, God, of the ways that we can refocus our lives on you, even now in these moments? Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.